Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Pilates Mom podcast. I have the pleasure today to speak with Miss Peggy Church, who is a dear friend of mine. So I feel like this is a little self-indulgent, but uh, very happy to have you, Peggy. How are you? I am great, and it is super nice to talk to you, Renee. It is self-indulgent, but it's not just you. It's me, too. <laughs> so Peggy and I went to Grandma Q and College together for dance, and Peggy is just rebranded and is opening a new space. Before we get into that, Peggy, just tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, my background is pretty diverse, so I'm going to stick to the movement side of and health and wellness side of things, but I am a... Uh, massage therapist for 20 years, a uh, professional dancer, choreographer, teaching at a uh, post-secondary level for dance and movement and creative movement uh, for a college here in Alberta. Uh, and then I am also a hypopressive instructor, slings in motion instructor, TRX instructor. I do myofascial cupping therapy. I do fascial scraping. I teach workshops and courses and, and, and. Awesome. Amazing. I love your career and your journey. You have so many amazing tools in your tool bag. So tell us a bit about your rebranding and new space. So I picked the name Movement Tutor because it really describes who I am versus a space because I am my business. I am my brand. I'm a one woman show. I'm the janitor right up to the president and the CEO. So uh, as a movement <laughs> and as the movement tutor, I hope to tutor people on how to improve their self-care and their rehabilitative needs in that they have tools to take care of themselves instead of relying on others. Beautiful. I love that. And I think it's so funny because there's a meme that I believe you posted probably years ago, but it's always just made me laugh about like, if you see me talking to myself, I'm just having a staff meeting because <laughs> 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 we wear all of the hats, like you said. Um, so let's talk yeah. a little bit about you choosing to open a space. And I know you've had a studio in the past um, during this time. So during this time of COVID and lockdown, I know we're in different provinces, we're in different stages of this right now ourselves, but where a lot of studios are closing across the US and maybe in Canada as well. Um, tell us a little bit about that and why you're choosing to open and have a brick and mortar space once again. Uh, there's multiple reasons behind it. Some of it starts with a bit of negativity, and then I promise I'll end with something positive. So unfortunately, with budget cuts um, in our province through our government, the college decided that I was teaching at, which was supposed to be turning into a university program, closed its program. Oh, so sad. that was a loss of income and a loss of the arts community to our in my community, which is sad. Mm -hmm. So I've lost that ability to or resource to make an income. And that wasn't my only source of income. And then my one of my other sources of income was um, doing mobile services for people. So going into their home and working with them in their home, in their home gyms, in their environment so that they could create a self-care space in their home, because I think that's part of the problem. But that's not COVID friendly because I don't want to be rolling around on other people's carpets and they don't want me rolling around. on. Their yeah, carpets. it's kind of hard right? to enter and someone's home cool. right now, for sure. Yeah. And so then that source of income was gone because I couldn't market myself. I couldn't grow my business. And then some of my, some, a lot of my clients that I work with are 
compromised immune systems, asthma, or ha they have other people in their home. So again, that source of income was gone. And then my other source of income was traveling and teaching workshops and courses. Can't do that. So I, in one year, lost every source of income I had. Plus, I had also, January 1, retired as a massage therapist due to my own personal spinal stenosis issues. So I really lost all my sources of income. So rather than throwing my hands in the air and feeling defeated, which I did for a little bit, I'll acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. I you know, sat at home and watched Netflix and ate too many dilly bars, probably like the rest of you. Mm -hmm. Maybe not dilly bars, but anyway, that's a different story. And decided that it was time. Like I, I had to make this happen myself. I did try to find a job. That wasn't possible. Um, and not because I'm not hireable, but because the facilities, they're also locked down. So how are they going right. to employ me? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this was purely out of necessity. Um, I have a friend who owns a business who needed a tenant. I will take the space. Me paying her rent helps her out. And I have a space that my clients can come to in a safe um, and not just COVID safe, but in a, a like, I hold a safe space for people yes. to come and be themselves and heal and find the self-care and the rehabilitation that they need so they can maybe love themselves again or just love themselves the way they are because there's nothing wrong with most of us. Yes, definitely. And a safe place to move their bodies. Isn't that interesting that so many people don't feel comfortable moving their bodies um, maybe even in their even own, yes, yeah, so even in their own home, depending on who is in their environment, or a lot of people don't like the gym space and the gym vibe. So I love what you just said that you're creating space for people to heal their bodies and love themselves. Um, I just want to say that, you know, hats off to you. And I love that you're moving forward and opening a space right now. I feel like you're a little positive beacon of light for our community. And that, you know, we are going to open again, and people need this, people need what we do. So I love, love, love what you're doing. Um, tell Thank me you. a bit about uh, your integration of your modalities, because that's one thing that I think of, um, when I think of you and what you do is all of your modalities. So tell us a bit about your new name and how you integrate all of the wonderful things that you do for people. So as a movement tutor, the idea is, is that it's not about creating dependency on me, but again, empowering people to, to take care of themselves and be uh, accountable to themselves. So my job um, as a massage therapist, as a Pilates instructor, as a yoga instructor, as a hypopressive instructor, as an educator is to give people tools. But I always found that when I was working all of these different modalities in their own space, so go teach a Pilates class, go teach a yoga class or teach a dance class or do a massage when really it all needed to be done at the same time. So I decided to take what I had and put it together and I'm self-employed so I can do that, right? If I was working in somebody else's facility and you've signed up for a Pilates class, you're going to want a Pilates class. But what if you need a little bit of fascial work on that lumbar L3 to get a glide going so that you can do a beautiful cat stretch? And that's always been my my feeling in a lot of the fitness or um, rehab industry is there's too much separation in all of these. Mm -hmm. So what I've done in my 
therapeutic sessions, because it is all I can offer right now while COVID is going on, but they're also my favorite, is I assess people where they're at that day when they walk in. So you get, you know, you know, your first appointment is always the big assessment, but every day I look at you because your body will be different from day to day. And then we assess what your resources are, what you have to work with, not just what's wrong with people, because a lot of what pe- most people have have it going on. There's just a couple things that we need to tweak. So what don't we need to work on? Let's figure out that. And then what I do is when after the assessment is I will do some manual therapy. Maybe it's a fascial release. Maybe it's some traction. Maybe it's some mobilizing of a joint, whatever it is that you need. And then we need to move. More importantly, you need to move because by mobilizing your whole body, the entire biotensegrity, and we can get into what that word means if we need to, uh, of, of our anatomy, so that your nervous system registers the difference. And so your structure and the tissue and the tension and compression system starts to come to a harmonious balance. And the first thing that comes out of most people's mouths is, oh, well, that feels better. I feel like (laughs) I can, and then they start doing like this cha-cha move always. It's like the hips start to wiggle and they're like, I'm like, let's dance. It's beautiful. Yeah, everything, everything feels lubricated. Yes. And then depending on the session, we just repeat that process. We reassess after the movement to see how you're feeling and what has changed. Because lots of times I quite often call it peeling the sweet onion. As we peel those layers away, with the manual therapy and the movement, then we get to see some of the more deeper rooted issues. So again, we reassess, we'll do a little bit more manual therapy, and then we do some more movement. And then we might need to do it again, and again, and again within that one session. But as long as we get you to the point where you're feeling better, that's what matters. Lovely. Yeah, it's the idea of it's a practice, right? It always has to kind of be repeated. Now with the repetition and or the reassessing, do you find that there's certain sequences and or movements that you stay true to or that you consistently do with your clients or is it always fresh and new every time? I look at everybody from a a fresh set of eyeballs. I don't, I don't have a set routine for anybody. Uh, When you Mm -hmm. come and see me, you'll never do the same thing twice, but that said you will, but it might be in a different order because it's going to be what you need that day in that moment. So everything I do with people is custom. I customize everything for them that day in that moment. Now that said, if you're an athlete coming in and we're training for something specific, that's going to be different. But I do mostly rehab work. I have trained very high level figure skaters and hockey players and yada, yada, but training them and training in a rehabilitative self-care is totally different work. Mm -hmm. Yes. They're very different. And I think like for me, that's what I love about what we do is that, you know, we see both ends of the spectrum from like our very rehab clients to our athletic or, you know, super fit clients. It's, it's everything in between above and below. Um, Tell me something about, One of your favorites, so either a favorite modality or a favorite piece of equipment or toy or prop. Tell us one of Peggy's favorites. My personal favorite toy for myself is the Cadillac. I just, I love the Cadillac, the Pilates Cadillac, because I love the trapeze work. I love, 
I love being able to use the upright, the bars. Uh, it's just where I'm at home, the jungle gym, I guess you could call it, or as I like to call it, the yeah. playground. And I call it the playground at my studio because it's it's like it's like the jungle gym at the literally at the playground. Like you can crawl all over it, and you can go upside down, and you can traction, and you can lengthen, and you can shorten, and you can you know squish, and you can just do so much love on that piece of equipment. But my favorite <laughs> piece of equipment for my clients is actually a soft spiky ball. Yes, I was hoping I, you were going to say some kind of yeah. fun little small toy. Awesome. So yeah, tell us about honestly, spiky my, ball. Can I tell my favorite soft spiky ball? So I know here in Alberta, and I'm, I know Safeway is across Canada, you can get this, it's in the toy, the cat, the pet section, you can find these little tiny uh, spiky balls and they're cat toys, but they are amazing for your feet. Like amazing. They are my favorite. And they're like four bucks. You will not yes. find them in the workout store. Um, the spiky balls, why they're so amazing is that our fascia typically responds best to soft. So I learned this through the slings in motion and through um another fascial course that I took with another practitioner through another modality, but also as a massage therapist, our fascia responds best to soft. You think about your massage therapist or anybody in the way they touch you. If they grab you really harsh and really quickly, you tend to stiffen up. But if somebody comes at you in a soft, gentle manner, and then slowly gives you a little squeeze, you kind of, you soften into it. You, you squish, you let them squish you. And our body responds to soft that way. And so lots of times when we see these uh, hard, spiky massage balls, please run away from those. That's going to make your tissue stiffen up. It's not going to make your tissue want to release and want to allow those little spikes to wiggle in and release adhesions and increase blood flow and lubrication and hydration into all the deeper layers of the tissue. So soft is best. And the little spikies should just feel like a nice little tingly massage, depending on where you're rolling. Yes, amazing. No, I love this. And when I hosted you here in Windsor, uh, maybe what, three years ago now, that was like the biggest mm -hmm. piece that I took away from your workshop. Um, I had bought and sold the AccuBalls, which I still have and like for certain things, but using that softer texture ball. And I find the other thing with the softer balls, like you said, oh, people want to like, ooh, they want to move away from it, is the clients won't do homework if it hurts. Nope. Right? Like if, if the clients, I feel like my clients are more inclined to do the homework with something that's like soft and it's a little bit easier to handle. And then they're going to get more results out of it as well because it's not this aggressive, painful task that you're sending them home to do. Right. Nor is it putting their nervous system into a pain loop when we're trying to bring most people out of that pain loop. Out of the pain loop. Yeah. Definitely less is more. Um, with this whole concept. Um, and I think with the work that we do, that's like a big difference from maybe traditional fitness is just the whole mindset of less is more. Um, talk to us a bit about fashion. Now, I know that we could probably do 15 podcasts on a multitude of different things. So we're just touching yeah. on little pieces of little pieces of Peggy. Um, but talk to us just a little bit about fascia and your journey with that and how it's shifted your uh, teaching or added to your teaching. So obviously the little soft spiky balls is like a good example of that. But tell us a little bit about 
your fascia journey? Well, let's just start with that fascia in anatomy has been neglected, right? It was literally cut Mm -hmm. away in the 1400s when they first start or first were allowed to do um, cadaver studies and dissections. They, They scraped all the fascia away from everything and they threw it in the trash. So we are so far behind in studying fascia that we don't even know that we've been looped a number of times as far as all the different systems, other systems in the body. And fascia is our scaffolding. It's what everything's made out of. Like all of the nerves are wrapped in fascia. Our brain tissue is a specialized form of fascia. The heart is fascia. Like if you decellularize the muscle tissue out of the heart, you would still have this white sack that still looks like the heart. It's just clear. Um, And so for me, wrapping my head around the concept that everything is fascia gives me also this kind of comfort in that we are one whole being and we have to stop picking the body apart. Like anatomy, as far as Latin is concerned, the word means to cut. And so really somebody in the 1400s decided that this was a bicep and that was a deltoid and that was a tricep because they cut it apart. But if you Mm -hmm. actually look at the tissue in its systems collectively, you can't see where one thing begins and the other one ends. Not, and, you know, and fascia is out of function as well. If you looked at a cadaver of a person who was in a wheelchair, let's say they were um, uh, quadriplegic, they wouldn't have an IT band. Because the only reason we have IT bands and because they get that thick and because they get that tight is because of how we use them. So form follows function, function creates form. And so our whole fascial system is responding to what we do or don't do. And so the beauty of that too is that we can change it. The only thing, the only time we can't make a difference to improve our bodies is once the brain starts to go then things get more difficult to make changes because we do need it all working together. So I don't care how old you are, you can still make a difference and improve your physical function as long as you got your nervous system functioning properly. It's beautiful. And so for me, my fascial journey really, I think, didn't start until I got into massage therapy, but that was 20 years ago. So I've been doing this journey for a while. It's not new. Um, And then... As fascia started to kind of become a little bit more popular, as soon as I started seeing courses pop onto the market, I, I was there. Like I, I was one of the first in um, PJ's course. And then that led me into anatomy trains. I don't know if you know uh, uh, Tom Myers and studying. Actually, I've been studying his texts for probably 15 years before I went and took any of their courses and then the slings in motion method, which is based off the anatomy trains, myofascial meridians, Tom Myers. Um, and so it's, it's honestly, you pick the right word. It's a journey. And I am nowhere near done learning. And then a couple of years ago, um, I was at the Biotensegrity Symposium of Canada in Vancouver and learning from John Sharkey and Joanne Avison and like just some powerhouse people who know their shit. The and, mm-hmm. and then the more I know, or sorry, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. It's like, yeah, exactly. That's so always the case. Eh? No. And that's what makes me hungry for more knowledge, too. And then to second guess what I was taught, like, 
you know, harder was better, hard rollers, hard spiky massage balls. No, that's not how this tissue responds. And then how it communicates with the muscle tissue and how it communicates with the nervous system and the lymphatic system and the structural system. And because our fascia, um, one of the, another big light bulb moment for me is that the fascia talks to the brain and we've all been taught in anatomy that the, the nervous system and the brain are in charge, but where does it get its information to be in charge? Gets it from the fascia. Right. And so who's really in charge, right? So you have a director of a theater Mm -hmm. show and they're the boss, but if they don't have good actors and they don't have good singers and musicians and stagehands, they have a really crappy show. So again, the fascia really is, it's the show. Yeah, no, it's amazing. I mean, I've only done little bits and pieces here and there, but yes, Tom Myers was the very first thing I was introduced to is anatomy trains book and doing, um, it was at the yoga convention in Toronto that they did like a, a day long or a weekend long workshop. At that point, it was more so tied into yoga. Um, but yeah, so much more has happened. Like just since even that book has come out, it is, it's fascinating. So with the fascial work and all these modalities, you've mentioned different clients. What is your favorite type of client? If we had to categorize our clients, do you have a favorite client uh, type that you um, like what, you know, what sets your fire? Like what, what gets you so geeked that you just love working with a certain uh, client type? I absolutely have a favorite client type, but it's a fairly it's fairly specific in that I don't want to work with people that want to be dependent on me. I want to work with people who Mm -hmm. want to improve. And if you're just here to say that you have a personal trainer or that you do Pilates or, or, or I'm not the person for you because I'm kind of a, you know me well enough to know that this is a true statement. I am a no fluff and I am very blunt and I, I know how to have fun, but when we're talking about your wellness this isn't a joke to me and I want you to be better. And so the clients that walk in and they're thirsty for knowledge and they're doing their homework, I love them. And so there's not a specific individual type like demographic as far as age or sex or, or, or it is the individual who's ready. And if you're ready, I'm the person for you. If you're not ready, you might not want to walk through my door because I'm, I am going to push you. I'm going to challenge you. And I'm going to ask tough questions. Yes, I love that. I love, I call them energy vampires. You know, the pizza clients that we see that are just kind of a little draining on our, our spirits, we'll say. Um, I feel like for me, it's, it's also, you know, the client that sees your magic, like the client that gets you. And that they, like you said, they want to do the work and they want to put in the time, but also that you like truly have a good connection with, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. Connection is super important, but I will say that like I have some, have had some clients in the past, especially being a massage therapist for as long as I was, who didn't do any homework. And I still love them. You know, they, as far as people, I love them, but I was pretty blunt with them and told them, well, you're just good for business. Like you're not going to get better if you don't do what I tell you to do. And some people are fine with that. <laughs> and so the, I wouldn't yeah. tell them my energy vampires because at least they acknowledge that they're not doing their homework or they acknowledge that they just want to be good for business. 
And that's fine, but don't look at me like I'm doing my job wrong if that's what you're doing. And I think that's kind of my difference is, you know, there's those people that look at you like, well, you didn't do this right then. And it's like, no, no, you didn't do your homework. That's not my fault. Right, right. Like you didn't fix me and I paid you to fix me kind of thing. Yeah, that's like taking your kid to the altar and expecting, you know, them to get fixed there instead of taking a look in the mirror sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, I know this is again, another can of worms to open up here. So we're both contemporary trained when it comes to Pilates. Correct. So tell me a little bit about, um, you know, just the Pilates piece itself. I know we're both in a lot of different Pilates chat groups, say on Facebook. Um, so just like contemporary versus classical method. Not that I want to discuss the differences because we both know what those differences are, but just your feelings around that, you know, you trained with a contemporary method versus classical and how there's so much, um, you know, dialogue out there right now about it on social media well I think I'm going to correct you a little bit in saying that I think we trained in the traditional first and then we trained in the contemporary because what we were learning at Grant McEwen through Heidi was traditional old school Pilates for sure it was um and so yes when I say trained I mean like educated I'm your certification no, I, yeah I, I know what you mean and that's why you're right. Nobody's wrong. But we really did have that experience. And when I look back at that, that initial experience, our first experience in Pilates, and then my education in regards to contemporary Pilates is just the anatomy study. Um, and I also liked this, the fact that I was told you know, a couple years after I had done whatever certification course, okay, we don't do it like that anymore because we've learned X, Y, Z. And any of the traditional type methods of not even just Pilates, just in the fitness world in general or wellness movement world, if it's really traditional, they tend to not change with the times. And, and when I mean change with the times, I mean change with the anatomical, scientifically proven knowledge and they're not acknowledging mm -hmm. that, that's wrong. That to me, that's just absolutely wrong. When there's a, when you know better, you do better. You don't ignore it and just say, well, yes. that's the way we've always done it. Come on. We do better when we know better. Yes, no, I fully agree. No, I love that you said that piece because that's uh, totally how I feel. And I, it's not out of any disrespect to the classical method or Joseph Pilates. No. It's just like we've learned, we've learned so much Joseph since that time. Joseph Pilates went into a forest and cut it down with a fucking butter knife. And right. <laughs> to give us a view of, of the material is what I mean, right? Sorry, maybe not the best analogy and sorry about my mouth. But the idea is, is that he, oh. he went into something and created this out of nothing. Like to go down and cut down a forest with a butter knife is really what he did. But he couldn't uh -huh. see what he had to work with, right? Because he was he was doing it. He was in the middle of it. And now that you've had some really very intelligent, very... um forward-thinking scientific people take a look at the work they aren't trying to bastardize it they're just trying to bring it to the 21st century with the 21st century knowledge that he didn't have yes no I fully agree I also like the analogy of like 
you know, if you look at the motor vehicle uh, industry, yeah. it'd almost be like saying like, well, the original Ford car was built this way and that's the original way and I have a patent on it. So we should only do it this way and any other way is wrong. <laughs> you know, it's just, it almost seems like ridiculous when you look at it in other industries. Which is also why I don't have one or two or five things that I do with every client every time because they might not need that that day. It needs to be what they need, not what I want to do. So yeah, I have a method, but my yes. method needs to be be able to be customized to the people or person in front of me. Yes, definitely. And I also feel that having all these different modalities, um, it, you know, it brings more to the table, like it brings so much more options, or even just the contemporary training with preparations, modifications, you know, a lot of people couldn't do that traditional mat series, like, you know, sink or swim, do it this way. Um, so yeah, there's so much more variety. And when we look at it as movement, and as body work, and as healing, why would we not pull pull from, you know, every tool we have in our tool bag and anything and everything that we've possibly learned that could aid our clients along that journey. Yep. It, it, there's just definitely, I, I, we have to get the science in there. It's the, you know, the shortest, simplest way to say it. If you aren't applying the newest science to your work, you are behind the times and you will get left behind. Yes. I fully agree. How do you feel that having a dance background, obviously you still incorporate dance and movement, but just even with the Pilates piece, um, how do you feel like having a dance background aids in your teaching or your movement that, that might be just slightly um, different than say someone that had only a fitness background. So not better, just different, right? Not wrong, just different, but talk a little bit about the dance piece and how that flows into what you're doing. My dance background is priceless. Like I literally, I could almost get emotional. Mm -hmm. Amen. It is priceless. It is, you know, I might not have ended up touring, be, being a touring performer for 20 years you know, the, the, the long career or the principal ballerina, but my dance, I'm still dancing. I'm still performing. I'm still training dancers. I'm still creating art. So that was priceless gift that my single mom, by the way, she was a single mom who paid for all of that. I still don't know how she did that, but that's a different topic um, is absolutely priceless. Cause when, if we go back to something I said earlier is that, you know, I learned how the body moves before I learned how to fix or do therapy as a massage therapist. So learning dance and Pilates and yoga and personal training, like working in the gym, all of that, I got to study movement to an nth degree and at an anatomical level. And then I learned what the still body is. And so my dance background is everything. Everything is based off my dance, even as a massage therapist. And I've worked on some very high level massage therapists and chiropractors and physiotherapists. And they're like, how are you even doing that? And I'm like, it's my dance background because I can make my body move and in a flowing way that other people can't. Um, I can, you know, balance mm -hmm. on one leg and get a foot and both hands involved if I needed to. Um, 
and again, these, these professionals are like, nobody has ever done that to me before, but I'm thinking like a Ron Jean and the, the hip socket needs to be greased. So I'm just going to take your leg through a circumduction, which in my head is a Ron Jean, right? And so they're like, what? why would you do that? But really it's more curiosity because they were never taught that stuff. So I use dance in everything I do or talking to um, a a friend of mine who was in a horrible motor vehicle accident this past summer and was bedridden for five months. That's another story. Um, and getting him to work on his flicks, right? Like just being able to roll that foot into plantar flexion and then flick his toes off the floor because so I use it in my rehab work. I use it in everything I do. It's absolutely priceless. What a privilege for us to be given that gift by both of our parents. Yeah, I know it was an amazing um, experience. I talk um, a bit about my story in one of my podcasts and I refer to, you know, dance and being in college as like one of the most romantic times of my life because I was, you know, not because it had anything to do with a romance of another person, but just the romance of the movement, the dance, my own journey, you know, finding myself in a lot of ways. Um I feel like the dancing as well, aside from how we can move our own bodies or the physical is, you know, I feel like with cueing, I feel like it can't comes to dancers much easier, like in teaching certifications for years. I don't know if it has to do with rhythm or, you know, being able to like snap as you teach or just cueing, I think comes easier or maybe it's just more creative from a dance ways in the cueing sense. Like I, I, uh, I know for me being cued, I can integrate the cues that are given to me on a dime, right? Like you tell me you want this and I can do it. And I've had people look at me before and go, yeah, that's not normal. Most people can't just fix it. But because I grew up in the studio constantly being cued to tweak this or do that or find this or lift that or lengthen that or look here and do this. I can do that. And that's priceless in and of itself is being able to take somebody's words and integrate that into my body. And so I think that is what helps me verbalize it because I know what it feels like. So I can find different words to describe it, like dumbing it down, I guess, is another way of saying it, bringing it into layman terms, something that they can they can physically almost feel what I'm saying because I felt it myself and mm-hmm. I've had to do it myself. Yeah, definitely. No, and it is, it is fascinating that dancers can take those corrections. I'm working with a woman that's danced right now and or any dancers that I've worked with, I feel like I sometimes have to tell them like almost to not yep. overcorrect because they take the the information so well so quickly that then sometimes they almost overdo yep. it you know? Absolutely. Totally agree. And I love working with dancers because they're willing to try things too. There, there's less fear in movement or whereas, because lots of times when I'm training a layman, somebody that hasn't, doesn't have a large movement background, they're, they're very fearful of moving in a different way. Dancers, there's very little fear. They're all in. Yeah, fear and they're they're almost craving movement, especially if they're not dancing any longer, right? It's like they're craving the movement as opposed to being, you know, feeling vulnerable or afraid of it. They're like, give it to me. (laughs) Give me more. More. 
Um, talk to us a little bit about, uh, you mentioned um, having stenosis yourself. So just, you don't have to go into depth about your injury, but just about how even just having an injury in general maybe changed your perspective on working with injured people or on movement in general, just anything at all about how, you know, your own injury has impacted so you. So spinal stenosis for people that don't know what it is, is a narrowing of the holes where the nerve roots come out of the spine. So it can be the hole of the vertebrae mm -hmm. where the spinal cord is that can narrow. And then there's two holes on the right and the left side of the vertebrae where your nerve roots come out. And so all three of those holes, it's possible for them to narrow and then they start to impinge the spine and the nerves. Mine, I'm luckily only getting nerve impingement. Um, and sadly for me, so typically, if any, if people live long enough, you'll probably end up with some type of spinal stenosis, usually cervical or lumbar, because it's a wear and tear or trauma. And I have had both. And so my first neck injury, I was 14 months old. Um, I was the kid who went head first, literally into everything. And I don't mean with a pail on my head. I mean, I just with all my energy <laughs> and love, I went head first into life. My poor mom. And yes. um, so, you so you didn't come out wearing no, a helmet, no, eh? No pale on my head when I came out. But I, um, and so because I played hard as a child and then, you know, uh, as a 20 years of massage therapy. And then unfortunately, about 11 years ago, I was in a quite a severe car accident where I was, I was pretty messed up. Um, that expediated. So 10, 11 years ago, when they did an MRI, I already had spinal stenosis. It was at a very mild level because of the accident. And then being a massage therapist, um, it expediated all of that to only in nine years to a moderate level. So at the early in my early 30s, I already had it when most people don't start developing it, developing it till they're in their late 60s, early 70s. So I was already, as usual, I'm already ahead of the curve. <laughs> Let's put a positive spin on that. Yeah, I was gonna say I've only I've only experienced it honestly with male clients that have had it in their yeah. lumbar and so spine. In the, when, so that's been with the cervical that. spine. Um, I could long term end up losing the use of my arms, and what made me go to the doctor and start getting some tests is I was actually losing the ability to rotate. And it, anybody knows me long and has loaned me at all, they know that one of my goals in life is to be able to wipe my bum by myself for the rest of my life. And if you can't <laughs> rotate, you're gonna pretty soon start lose the ability to wipe your bum. So that got me kind of, all right, let's go talk to some people. So yeah, long story short, <laughs> um, my spinal stenosis had progressed. And so I needed to stop the wear and tear. And as a massage therapist, you're looking down all the time, you're, it's constant compression and, um, into that area. And so I just made a choice to change my life. And, and I love being a massage therapist. I am really good at it too. Like it's crazy how good I am at it. And just how I have this intuition, my hands know where to go. And I know that this needs to be this. And, but I had to give it up and that was really hard. And that was an emotional journey and has been an emotional journey this last year. And I, I cried a lot over it because it was also a main source of income. Right. That was 50 percent of my income that I just yes. had to just say, OK, 
my poor husband, he's like, do we need to stop right now? And I'm like, or you could be wiping my bum for me in five to 10 years. And he's like, all right, you're retiring. <laughs> right. But um, you, yeah. you choose. Jake. So really, yes, it made me the car accident that I was in 11 years ago. And now the stenosis, you know, because I was always able to physically do anything anything you threw at me and you know this like I was dancing with the boys picking them up chucking them across the stage so to go and have to admit that I can't or I shouldn't was really difficult for me but it's a humbling experience that makes me a better therapist makes me a better practitioner it makes me a better educator and it makes me a much more compassionate and humble person because now I get it when people are like yeah I just I can't do that and then you you can peel the, the sweet onion back and figure out what it is. Maybe it's an emotional thing. Maybe it is a physical thing. But it's still something that we have to help them get through instead of saying, yes, you. what's the problem? Just do mm-hmm. it. Well, it's not that easy for everybody. And there are some things I can't do. Like I, I could, but if I did, there's repercussions. And then I'm going to end up at physio for weeks on end spending thousands of dollars. And that's not good for my body. But yeah, having spinal stenosis um, has changed my life, but not necessarily for the worst. It's just made me, you know, I looked, I opened a new business because I can't do that anymore. I can't rely on that income. So now I have to make this pay the bills. And you know what? I've always, as much as I loved massage, the movement has always been my passion. It it was my first passion and it will be my last passion when I leave this world. I'm going to go out dancing if I can. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, I believe that you will. And I, I will say too that you you always have just you have a very powerful um I mean presence and energy and personality, but structure. Like when you started posting videos over the last week and a half about, you know, oh my playground's back out and I got this equipment out for the first time Seven. in five years. And it's like the first thing you did on the chair. Yeah, the first thing you did on the chair was like supported on your arms doing like double knee raises. And I was just like, oh my God, like, how are you? If you haven't done this for years, it's just like that innate, you know, knowledge and strength that you've just held with you, even though you haven't had your playground, quote unquote, to kind of play on. Um, Okay, another little piece of- But my playground with the equipment, I got that back, but it doesn't mean I wasn't doing other types of training. And that's where sometimes- less is more, right? So maybe I wasn't, you know, doing the double knee lifts or the acrobatic stuff on the Cadillac for the last seven years, but I've been doing other stuff that's kept those, you know, those level one muscles and those global mobilizers and everything lubricated, hydrated, mobilizing, because I've been rehabbing myself for the last 10 years. So you don't always have to yes, take the yeah, shit out of, of yourself and it's do the just... fancy stuff. It, the, the real work, the real self-care is the little stuff and the motion and the mobilizing and, and teaching your body how to do it right. So then when you go to do the fancy stuff, you can still do it and better. Yes, definitely. I fully appreciate everything you just said. It's just like we said earlier, the less is more peace and um, having a little injury recently myself. Um yeah, it is. It's right now. It's the little things, you know, I think there's that ebb and flow in life too, where, you know, our body needs different things at different times. 
another little piece of Peggy. So we've mentioned hypopressives and anyone that listened to my last podcast was all about hypopressives. So what I love about your hypopressives journey, because you are the one that introduced me to it and told me to go check it out and told me to find Trista Zinn in Toronto. Um, and I got into it more for a postnatal um you know, something I could add to my postnatal clients. So what I'm getting at here is you do not have babies, but you found hypopressives and it still helped you. So just talk to us for a, a moment about your hypopressives So hypopressives story. came to me. I was working with a female client who had had her first set of twins. She now has three sets of twins. Um, and after, yeah, after the first set of twins, there was a major injury and she needed a lot of rehabilitation. And I was one of the people that was helping her with her rehabilitation. Fast forward into the story. She was sent to one of our top dogs in Alberta, uh, for physiotherapy, pelvic floor physiotherapy to be very specific. And this lady by the name of Mary Wood, um, and, and I ended up talking because she wanted to talk to me because she was amazed at how good this client was doing because we had strengthened her transversus abdominis and we had and we had and we had gotten all these fine motor skills to a very stable, luscious place. And somebody that was horribly injured mm-hmm. in their pelvic floor. Um And so Mary is the one that said, you need to go and take these courses because you're already doing a lot of this work. And this, she didn't say this, I'm just kind of paraphrasing it, but she basically said, this is going to be the icing on the cake for some of your work, especially for pelvic floor patients. And I went and took it. And I, so when I arrived at the course, the first course level one, I did in Calgary, Alberta. And so I drove there, that's an hour and a half drive. And I had had this nagging pain on my left ischial tuberosity that I had had for years. And I just thought that was something I was going to have to live with. So two days in hypopressive training, you know, and, and you're not necessarily doing it the way you would teach a client, but you're learning how to teach the clients, right? The method. And when I left to drive home, that hip didn't hurt anymore. And I mean, I had been doing physiotherapy, chiropractic, massage therapy, my own movement practice, and nothing was fixing that and all the two days in a hypopressive course and my hip is better so then I took it upon myself yeah um, and it was Trista's recommendation she's like you know you really should have the experience everybody should I truly believe this now should go to a pelvic floor physio male female I don't care what your gender you should go and have the experience of a pelvic floor physio to know where you're at whether and whether you need to improve or whether you just need to keep keep it on And I went to pelvic floor physio and that was a wonderful experience. Um, And I mean that in that I learned that I had a very low grade, probably a 0.5 to a one prolapse in my bladder. And I had been having urgency issues forever and never really incontinence, but urgency was bad. And again, like you said, I've never had babies, but that would have been from all of my high impact exercise as a professional dancer and all the jumping. And then fast forward my level two course, there's all these physios and we're all touching each other. And I remember the one and she's like, you haven't had kids. I'm like, no, she's like, I have um, a double tear in like double diastasis above my belly button and below it. And again, I've never had kids, but that would be from too much high impact exercise. And so all of these things that 
It's so cool. It's, I mean, it's amazing to me because a lot of people, yeah. I'm just interrupting for a moment. So a lot of people think that these are only issues that women have after they've had babies. They don't think that men mm -hmm. or other people, other women have these issues. And I know your story, but I just want no, you to important. share it because a lot of people don't. Yeah. Do and yeah. So, yeah. Keep going. You know, my journey of figuring out that I have a tear in the fascial linea alba of my abdomen is partially why I've always, I don't have a tummy, you know that I've got nice abs and I'm not complaining, but why I've always had this little punch that I will never get rid of because I have two tears, one above and one below my belly button. Um, and then the, and I've repaired the bladder all through hypopressives and posture and breathing and all the other things that I know I need to do, but I didn't know I needed to do them until I knew I needed to do them. And that was going to a pelvic floor physio and going through my own personal hypopressives journey. And then also working with men. Um, it is appalling how many men have pelvic floor issues and cannot get the work that they need, like erectile dysfunction or uh, herniated lumbar discs or inguinal hernias. How many men have inguinal hernias? And that those can all be symptoms of a dysfunctioning pelvic floor. I was working with one gentleman who had pain on ejaculation. That's not even fair. Like that's not even fair. <laughs> was he ended up losing a testicle because they thought that would help. And it didn't oh, help. Wow. He had a pelvic floor issue and he went to a pelvic floor physio. I was his oh, massage God. therapist, hadn't seen him in years. He came back. So I made him fill out a new form. So new education, new form. And um, I have questions on my questionnaire about pelvic floor dysfunctions, you know, things like, do you have uh, pain-free, fun intimacy with your partner? And it was like, no. And he's like, you mean we can do something about that? I'm like, yes, nobody has to live like this because the problems are common, but they're not normal. Uh, I'm that person at the party and, you know, the wives are in the kitchen and the husbands are out in the living room and we're watching the kids jump on the trampoline and somebody always makes the joke of, oh, I can't do that. I'd pee my pants. I'm like, you don't have to live like that. And they're all like, oh, my God, I don't want to talk about my bladder right now. I'm like, yes, you do. You don't have to live like that. And then they look. I like to say, too, it's, it's often normal for people. It's normal, right, but it's not necessary. You know, just because it's normal and a lot of people are experiencing it, it's not necessary for anyone well, to have I to live with it. I try to choose the words carefully. And instead of saying it's normal, I say it's common because it is very common, but it's actually not a physical norm for anybody's body to be incontinent or having a ton of frequency or urgency or pain. That's not normal. You don't have to live like that. It's common. Lots of people have it. Yes, but it's actually not normal for your anatomy to be doing that to you and that's when people go okay you're right mm -hmm. yeah lots of mm -hmm. people are like this but doesn't mean you have to stay like that or live like that there are ways of making it better yeah. and improving your life you're not stuck no. like and ever. just because you've had kids doesn't mean you're going to be incontinent you that you don't have to live with that either and just because you haven't had kids doesn't mean you don't have a pelvic floor issue. The youngest person I've ever worked with with a pelvic floor issue was 15 years old. And this was actually at a photography event that I typically hold annually for dancers. We, I get dancers and photographers together and we teach the dancers how to work with photographers and photographers how to work with dancers. And this girl, she just had a hip imbalance and 
I talked to the mom and I'm like, I'm going to go ask your daughter some pretty personal questions. And she's like, yeah, go for it. And yeah, the girl needed pelvic floor physio. And she is an elite level dancer now because we could improve her, her hip function. Yeah, her whole pelvis and everything probably yeah, just and totally so changed. Many kids nowadays wow, are having confusing. pelvic floor dysfunctions. And because we don't talk about it as adults or that we equate it to having babies, they think that there's something wrong with them, that they're, you know, they're having to pee all the time or their urgency where they, they you know, if they can't even get to the bathroom fast enough to get their pants down or they are a little bit incontinent or they're having pain in their nether regions. Um, they don't want to talk about it because they don't know that that's not normal. And it, for kids, it's really about posture. And yes. our kids have such poor posture nowadays because of electronics, because of sitting for long periods of time, maybe not right now, but you know, a lot of kids are going to school with a ridiculous amount of textbooks, heavy backpacks, which puts them in a poor posture, which makes their organs push down onto the pelvic floor, which creates more downward pressure, et cetera, et cetera. So pelvic floor dysfunction, mm -hmm. you can feel pelvic floor yeah. dysfunction in your jaw. Like I, my one girl, like when I work on her jaw, she feels it in her pelvic floor. When we work on the pelvic floor, she feels it in her jaw. Like it has that much effect from top to bottom you'll feel pelvic floor dysfunction in your feet you'll feel it in your hips your lower back it's it's connected to everything your pelvic floor is yeah everywhere yeah definitely no it's i love that yeah. mm -hmm. and it's power with your pelvic floor and your diaphragm because if you think of the pelvic floor and the diaphragm and the way they work it's almost like an internal piston in creating energy and force internally. Mm -hmm. And if those two things aren't functioning properly, nothing's working right. Nothing's working optimally. And for so many, for so many people, just the breathing piece, you know, is not functioning right <laughs> or, but, you know, in a limited way. So just that alone but if for the so many people. Isn't functioning is, right, then the pelvic floor um, isn't functioning right and vice versa. So if you aren't breathing right, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Great yeah. minds think alike. Yeah, it's amazing. Yes, we are great minds. And I think well, we, we should sign off forever. here soon, Peg. So any, any last, I know we could talk forever. Um, any last words for us? What about your vision moving forward for uh, your My new, new space? space is just one cog in the wheel. Um, so the space moving forward will, I'm still doing the, my privates that I spoke about, we'll be hosting group classes as a restrictions lift workshops, courses, and what I'm calling playtime, allowing people to book the studio and come in and work on their own. I feel that a lot of Pilates studios, you know, like that equipment is not accessible for most people to even have in their home, but we have these times where the studio is sitting empty. Why can't they come in and work on their own, like supervised, I'll be there. But that's, that's one of my goals. I want to make that available to my community. There's these people that love this equipment and can't afford personal training all the time or one-on-ones. Um, I'm also building a virtual studio because the pandemic has made that obvious. Plus I do have clients all across Canada, uh, Vancouver Island, PEI, Nova Scotia, down in Arizona. So that will make teaching them a lot easier. Um, and then touring with my workshops and my courses. I've got lots of Lots of balls in the air, but they're all my balls. And I'm going home now. Only <laughs> <laughs> no, no, play with like your it. own balls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
<laughs> okay, I love you. I Thank love you for you chatting too. with me. And everyone, you can find Peggy Church, the Movement Tutor. And we will probably oh, talk yes, again will. someday. Love you. Thank you for everything, Renee. And Jellyfish. Okay, bye. Love you too. <laughs>